If you've got a Bible with you, uh, get to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 13, looking at verses 18 through 35 and finishing up that chapter this morning. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. At the end of the service, uh, we want to pray for all women here, whether you are a mother or not. And we also have a gift to give you after the service, again, for all women here. So make sure you grab that afterwards. Last Sunday, we shared with you the vision that we are prayerfully pursuing a, a full-time worship pastor to uh, add to our staff right now. And so it would just continually encourage you to pray with us and for us as we seek the Lord's wisdom here. We want the spirit to lead. We trust the chief shepherd will provide and care for his flock. And he is continuing to strengthen and build his church in this time. The email that went out last Sunday, there's a paper copy of it back at Guest Connections. It's also on our website. If you have questions, thoughts at all, please don't hesitate to talk to myself or a member of our elder team. We've been in Luke for a while now. Uh, I've been saying, uh, open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke for a while now, and we will continue to do that through the month of August. We are in the uh, stretch of Luke 9 through 19, where he is journeying his way toward Jerusalem. And we, uh, we are in this stretch here. We're kind of tracking along with his, uh, his journey toward Jerusalem. We will then take a break at the end of August in Luke 19, look at some other texts from the scriptures and then get back into Luke in early 2022 and finish on Easter, Lord willing, uh, next, next year, 2022. We're calling this section of Luke 9 through 19, following along the road because slowly but surely he is making his way toward Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem? It's the cross where he is crucified for our sake, where he rises again on the third day. So as Jesus is going toward Jerusalem, he's well aware of the end result. He's aware of the unimaginable suffering that he will endure. He's aware that he will rise again and beat sin and death and the schemes of the enemy. That through his death and resurrection, he's making a way possible for people to be saved through faith alone and by grace alone. He's going to lay down his life for those who are sick and in need of healing. People like you and me. Sick with sin, in need of healing, in need of rescue. People who lived in small towns and villages along the way to Jerusalem that he is doing ministry in. He is seeking, he is seeking to save that which is lost all the way toward the cross. He's doing ministry. He's teaching. So a couple big topics that he hits on continually is that of the kingdom of God and eternity. He's saying, here's what the kingdom of God is like. He, and here's what God is doing in this world. And he's also calling people to faith and repentance and trust in him. Because this life is short and eternity is long. And this whole purpose of going to the cross is to save people. And Jesus wants to see people trust in him as their Lord and Savior to receive his free gift of salvation. And not reject his atoning work on the cross, but welcome it by grace to trust in his sufficient sacrifice and so in this section of scripture he's going to teach us about the kingdom of god and what god is doing in this world he's also going to call individuals you and i to trust in him to walk toward and through the narrow door in order to be saved he's going to give warnings to those who reject him so those who are of you here who are not yet trusting in Jesus completely, I pray that you do today, that you would heed the warnings of Jesus and turn to him. To those of you who do know and trust in Jesus today, I pray that 
you'd be encouraged as missionaries, both in this reminder of, of what God is doing in this world, what the kingdom of God is doing in these first couple parables that we'll look at, and then toward the end, I believe there's a couple encouragements that we should walk away with as missionaries as we journey along this narrow path. So verses 18 through 21 in the CSB translation, giving us a couple pictures of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. So two pictures here that give, give us a, a growing understanding of what the Lord is doing in this world from Genesis to now. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which would have been the smallest seed that the listening crowd would have known of at the time. The kingdom of God is like leaven. Again, this small, very small amount. So what do these parables teach us about the kingdom and what God is doing in this world? A, a few thoughts. First of all, the kingdom of God is growing, expanding, reaching, affecting more. God's mission to seek and save the lost continues to this day. The good news of Jesus is going out. Since the launch of the New Testament church to the book of Acts now, the nations are being reached. Disciples are being made, including you and I. Consider your own life for a minute. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you were not following Jesus just two or three years ago? How many of you just came to faith in Christ in the last 10 or 20 years? Consider who shared the gospel with you. Who told you about Jesus? This is an example of the kingdom of God expanding, especially on Mother's Day. Consider how many of our mothers were disciple makers to us, showing us the gospel, telling us about the good news of Jesus. Praise God. If the Lord gifted you with a mother like that, Praise God for that work. The good news of Jesus reached you. Think of who you're seeking to reach now. Who are the people you're praying that the kingdom would come into their life, that they would receive Christ? See, see we're praying that the kingdom would continue to expand in our area and into households and into generations through disciples of Jesus who are disciple makers, showing and telling of the gospel. This is why we want to equip you as as disciple makers, so that you'd make disciples at home, at work, among friends, among family. This is why we plant churches like Redeemer and Manunk, and why we want to continue to plant churches. This is why we partner with an organization like Ethnos 360 to, to Lord willing, plant a church in an unreached people group that will be no longer unreached, but reached with the gospel. The kingdom of God is always expanding, always growing, like a seed that grows into a tree, like a small amount of yeast that grows into a bread, a great amount of bread that, that satisfies those who eat it. We also learn through this parable that we get a wide-angle view of how the kingdom started and how it's going to end. It started small. A small group of disciples of Jesus who were commissioned to go and empowered with the Spirit to go to the ends of the earth. How will it end? Well, tracking with this parable, we see that it will go out and the kingdom will grow and more people and nations will be reached. It starts small, but the family of God is growing. Amen? 
For those of us in Christ, praise God that by, by God's grace alone, we've been brought in, adopted, cared for, eternally secure in the Father's hand. And be encouraged by this. When ministry and mission feel painstakingly slow, when you've been praying for years, maybe decades for someone to come to faith in Christ, when you're praying for some generational sin cycle to be broken in your own household or some household that you love and care for, maybe for you moms making disciples at home and you're thinking, is any good coming from this? Whether it's toddlers, teenagers, somewhere in between, heart transformation seems slow. Listen, the kingdom of God is growing. 1 Corinthians 3, be faithful to plant and water and trust God for the growth. See, we partner with the sovereign God's kingdom growth plan through planting and watering, but he is the one who causes the growth. So be faithful in these little moments of seed and yeast. Our hearts and lives are prone to, let's hurry this up, let's produce, show me the results, show me the line graph that goes up and to the right, show me the, the, the numbers that just go off the charts. We are prone to impatient, impatience. Our hearts are prone to impatience. Our lives are marked by an impatient spirit, mine included. Heather and I have been praying and planting and watering in the vision of Crosspoint for over 21 years now. Sometimes I get impatient as a shepherd. And yet, our good shepherd is never impatient with us. He's patiently shaping you and me, his kids, into a growing holiness and Christ-likeness, growing us into the fruit of the Spirit, including patience. See, the Jewish people listening here assumed that when the Messiah came, it was going to be immediate political freedom. It would be magnificent, majestic, immediate vanquishing of enemies. And yet, how did the Messiah come? First Advent, how did he come? Humbly quietly in the small town of Bethlehem because the kingdom of God started small, insignificant, seemingly weak like a minuscule mustard seed or a teaspoon of leaven and yet our sovereign and good God is causing the growth, expanding the kingdom from Bethlehem to here to one day to the Kuyu people in Papua New Guinea and on and on the mission goes, loved ones. Here's the final truth that we I want us to see in this parable, again, helping us see how the kingdom of God is going, how it's going to track along. We see that the, that the kingdom of God is growing and expanding, and it's leading to the good of those in the kingdom and those who enter the kingdom. As the mustard seed grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches, or the production of bread, I've never met a bad piece of bread or roll, or that's another message, another thing the Lord is working on me in, but I've never met a bad one. I think they are for the glory of God. But the growing kingdom of God is growing, is providing rest and shade and a home to those who are restless with sin, weary from the heart, wandering without a home, who the, 
It's providing satisfaction. Think of bread. It's providing satisfaction to those who have sought satisfaction in earthly things. The kingdom of God is saying, no, no, this is how you are satisfied. This is how you are ultimately satisfied. Rest in this life. Also eternal rest. It's, it's Psalm 23. Presence and goodness in the dark valleys in this life. And they come. And also presence and goodness in the green pastures along quiet waters. Verses 22 and 23. He went through one town and village after another teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked, are, you, are only a few people going to be saved? Continuing his journey toward Jerusalem, in, in Luke 9, 51, we see the shift in this gospel where it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. He was resolved to go to Jerusalem. I'm going. This is all part of God's good providential plan of the Father to rescue and redeem people. Listen, he walked that road, loved ones. He made his way to Jerusalem for you, for you, and for me. And for those of you who don't know Christ yet, he walked this road to Jerusalem through the little towns and the villages toward the cross for your sake because he loves you. And a question is asked of Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? In a sense, asking, what about them, Lord? Who out there will be saved? And how does Jesus respond? Well, he responds similar to how he will respond later when Peter is asking the resurrected Jesus. Peter asks the resurrected Jesus, hey, what's going to happen to him pointing to John? And Jesus replies to Peter, what is that to you? As for you, Peter, follow me. Are only a few people going to be saved? See, Jesus turns it. And more or less says, what about you? What about you? Are you saved? Do you trust in me? See, he uses the question and turns it to issue this charge and give warnings to those who would reject him. He said to them, I want to read all of it and then we'll work our way back through it. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able to. Once the homeowner gets up, and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But, but he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place, when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. They will come from east and west, from north and south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. He says in verse 24 again, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Your translation may say strive. So what's he saying? What's he not saying with that? To make every effort. First of all, he's not calling the listener to save themselves through good works. Good works is not the gate of the door to heaven and eternal life. That would go against the whole teaching of the word of God. That salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Good works is not the door to walk through to earn salvation because salvation is not something you can earn 
or work your way into. It is a gift that you receive because Jesus already did the work. You receive it through humble surrender and repentance. Jesus himself is the door. He called himself that in John 10, that he is the door. He is the gate that the flock or the sheep or the people of God enter into the kingdom. John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him because he's the door. It's relationship in Christ. It's trust in Christ. So what is he saying here? By calling us to make every effort to enter the narrow door. If it's not good works, what is he saying? He's saying it's going to take intentionality to follow him. You're not going to naturally drift toward abundant life in Christ like it's a lazy river just kind of taking you downstream. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us then make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. We don't drift toward obedience to Jesus. We need to make every effort to do so. It is an athletic term that Jesus is using here. You're going to have to focus. You're going to have to actually put effort toward it. You're going to have to be intentional and purposeful in following Jesus. You can't be lukewarm or indifferent and call that a relationship with Jesus. If he's truly your Lord and Savior, then he has your attention, your affection, your time, your heart's We have been crucified with Christ. It's now no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. I live, Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. One commentary wrote, the reply of Jesus to make every effort begins by asserting that the way of salvation is a door which God opens and man enters. The entry cannot be made without God. The gate of heaven opens only from the inside, but also man has to make his own way in once the door is opened. We make every effort. We strive to grow in the Lord because we have received grace. We are now new creations in Christ. We we don't strive in a posture to get saved. We strive in a posture because we are saved. New hearts, new spirits within us. Our every effort is always secondary to what Jesus did first. It's always in response. Our every effort is not to get him to respond like it's a contract. Our our every effort is in response to he loved us first. He forgave us first. He went to the cross first. He walked to Jerusalem first. Many will try to enter and won't be able to once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Today is the day to trust in Jesus because tomorrow is not promised. There will be a day that it will be too late. The door of Noah's Ark was eventually shut. The water of the Red Sea eventually came back together. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus is giving warnings here. The door will eventually be shut and some will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. The listening crowd who were predominantly Jewish, they are assuming that they are already guaranteed entrance through the narrow door, not because of faith in Christ, but because of their heritage, their family tree 
we were associated with you, Jesus. We sat at your tables. We saw you teach. But in the end, they never actually knew Jesus. Knowing about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. See, one of my great concerns in pastoring in a location such as this is that some of you still think you're saved because you grew up in church or you got baptized as an infant or as an adult or you know the stories of the Bible or you're more moral than the person down the street or, well, you serve and you give and you attend and you do things like this, religious activity. Being familiar with Jesus and the things of faith is not the same thing as having faith in Jesus. These people here who Jesus ends up sending away on the day of judgment had outward contact with the message and the messenger, but they never actually followed him as Lord. They were not living by faith in the Son of God, but, but they were still living by faith in themselves. Just added in a little religious knowledge along the way. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. This is Jesus saying these words. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. Jesus spoke of hell often in his teaching. This is one reason why it's good for us to, to look at a gospel in its entirety because we see that Jesus taught about all subjects, subjects that we don't naturally gravitate to, like, oh, let's do a six-week series on that. No, let's just allow the Word of God to lead us there. Jesus has all authority, including the authority to judge and, loved ones, the authority to save, the authority to redeem. Not all will enter the narrow door. If we reject Jesus in this life, why would we think that eternity would be different if we made the choice to reject him and his saving work on the cross, then we will be rejected in eternity. That same posture will continue. But the door isn't shut today, loved ones. It's open. A way has been made for you. Trust in him today. Jesus is warning you today, not because he's out to get you, but because he's out to save you rescue you, redeem you, give you eternal life, give you abundant life in him. Realize that freedom in Christ far exceeds any sort of freedom that this life offers. Freedom from sin, guilt, and shame. Verse 29, they will come from east and west, from north and south to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. So two actions are occurring here on the day of judgment. Those who trusted in themselves rather than Jesus will be rejected. Those who did trust in Christ will be received, gathered up, all corners of the world, the nations, because the power of God is the salvation for all who believe, from Jew to Gentile. Galatians 3, 27 through 29. Paul writes this, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Abraham, who was not justified by works, but by faith alone. Abraham, who will be at that banquet in the kingdom of God. In Christ is what unites the family of God, not our race. 
not our backgrounds, not our social classes, not our incomes, preferences, opinions, political leanings, denominations, anything secondary, thirdly, fourthly, anything of this earth. It is in Christ is who unites us in this all in Christ Jesus, heirs to the promise from all ends of the earth. What a sweet picture this is of the unity in Christ that that banquet will be. May we be, in the life that we've been given, may we be active in working and praying that his kingdom come here on, the earth, here on this earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Active in working and praying that we could be a, a, just an earthly shadow picture of the kingdom of God in this banquet. In this final two sections here, I believe we walk away with two encouragements of how to walk with intentionally toward that narrow door because we're going to face obstacles along the way. And the biggest obstacle, loved ones, is not out there. The biggest obstacle we face is here in our own hearts, in our own flesh, along the narrow path doorway or narrow door pathway. We will be tempted to become fearful and become proud, neither of which should characterize the people of God. Instead, Jesus calls us here to bold, fearless living and hearts that remain tender, compassionate, humble before Him and toward those we are called to reach. Verse 31, at that same time, Pharisees came and told Him, go get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today and tomorrow and the next day because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Who's Herod? Well, he's the one that kills John the Baptist. He's also the one into the book of Acts who continues to try to hinder and stop the mission of Jesus. And yet Jesus here is so focused. I will complete my work. It is my schedule. It's his pace. It's he's an authority. The steps that Jesus is taking here are according to Acts 2.23, God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. He calls Herod a fox, meaning a cunning, weak ruler. Jesus is not fearful of Herod. He's not fearful of suffering or being mocked. He's fearless, and he will continue on mission toward Jerusalem. Jesus, the missionary here, is bold. Not fearful, but fearless. It's easy to slip into living for the fear of man, is it not? But we must not fall into such a trap. We must follow the example of Jesus here and remain focused on the mission that we've been called to as kingdom workers and farmers, trusting him for the growth. Verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is abandoned to you, I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the, in the name of the Lord. 
Jerusalem represents the, uh, the center of the nation of Israel, the center of the people who, as a general rule, are rejecting Jesus as the promised Messiah. And Jesus is lamenting, broken, saddened by the hardness of heart, the hardness that has been there from the Old Testament days until the days of Christ. How prophet after prophet have been killed, including Jesus himself, who will be killed because he is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus has full knowledge of how many will reject him, how they will shout, crucify him. He knows it all and yet pleads with the city to turn and repent. He doesn't call down fire from heaven like the disciples want to want him to do earlier in the Gospel of Luke. He doesn't call down legions of angels to rescue him from the cross and smoke all those who nailed him to the cross. Instead, he says what? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. It's compassion all the way through. It's mercy all the way through. When faced with human pride and rejection and the callousness of the heart, Jesus remains compassionate, tender, broken toward those same people, to those who are rejecting him. He desires to actually protect them, save them like a hen gathering in her chicks. Just like it's easy to slip into fear along the path, the narrow path, we must not slip into pride either or a hardness of heart toward those who reject Jesus or the things of faith. We must follow the example of Christ and pursue a broken, tender, compassionate spirit, one that prays, one that loves, one that is humble. For today is not the day of judgment, loved ones, and we are not the judges. Today is the day of salvation, and we are His ambassadors. If the worship team could come back up. We can live both fearless and bold and broken and tender because Jesus finished the work. He completed the task. The good news is complete. The chapter He is now writing is called Making Disciples of All Nations. Are you actively participating in this chapter? I pray that you are. I pray that we are. I pray that Cross Point Community Church would be known as a church that is active in being a part of the chapter of making disciples of all nations. Because one day that chapter will end. And in the time that we have, we need to be intentional and prayerful, not indifferent or casual. 1 John 5.12 says it very, very plainly. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have the Son of God, Jesus? Does He have you? Does He have all of you? If you have the Son, then make every effort to live this life for His glory and purposes alone. May you live with fearlessness and humility as you're on mission this week. If you don't trust in Jesus yet, listen, loved ones, just like the people of Jerusalem, He knows everything about you already. And He loves you and longs to give you a, the gift of eternal life. Will you receive that today? I pray that you will. May you not settle for a casual association with the things of Jesus, 
a casual association that doesn't save, let alone lead to freedom or abundant life. May you give him your life today in prayer as we stand to sing. So let's stand and worship. Father, we thank you for the disciple-making mothers and grandmothers that we have had in our lives, that we continue to have in our lives. I thank you for my own mom. I thank you for my mother-in-law. Thank you for my wife, the gift that they are to the generations that follow them, the generations around them. We want to pray for and intercede on behalf of the women who you have fearfully and wonderfully made. To those who rejoice today, we rejoice with them. To those who grieve today, we grieve with them and may you comfort them. For those who are dealing with infertility, may you minister to your daughters today and remind them of their unchanging identity in you. For those who are tired today, may you strengthen their hands and give them good rest at night and ultimately in you as a way of life. For those who doubt your goodness and your greatness, may you remind them of who you are through your word and spirit. For those who seek to adopt, may you give them patience and trust as they wait. For those who are making disciples at home, at work, among friends, may you give them joy and wisdom as they plant and water. For those who are praying for the salvation of their spouse, may you save and redeem their husbands who they love. For those who are in a role of grandmother, may you enable them to speak words of life and be a God-glorifying leaven in the generations that follow them. As your daughters open your living and active word, may you speak to them. As your daughters serve, may you give them humility, gentleness, and patience, and strength. As your daughters live on mission, may you give them a fearlessness and a boldness that comes from your spirit and not their own strength. May you give them a tender, compassionate spirit toward those they are seeking to reach and disciple, whether it be their children, their coworkers, their family members, their friends. We pray that through your daughters, your kingdom might expand like you promised it will, providing shade and goodness and rest and satisfaction and a home to all those who enter into your kingdom. May you enable them by your spirit and grace to make every effort to enter the narrow door and live for you alone in the life that you've given them. We pray this in the powerful name of the Son who we have life in, Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote this in uh, 1 Timothy 6. It was a charge to Timothy, a young pastor. I think it's a fitting charge for all men and women. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is, is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be the honor and eternal power. Amen.